Welcome to episode 12 of the Broaden Your Perspective podcast. Today, I have Jeffrey Hill on the show, who was actually a member of the Greenhouse program. So Jeffrey and I talk about his experience as an entrepreneur and dive into some of the ups and downs on Building Canoe, which has a goal of a system of joint programs that will educate a new generation of pan-Canadian leaders. Through his entrepreneurial journey, Jeffrey has been through depression, which ultimately manifested in bipolar one schizoaffective. So listen in as we cover numerous topics, such as what it takes to be an entrepreneur, as well as challenges and struggles with mental health, and much, much more. Without further ado, here we go. All right, so uh, a few episodes ago, I had Tanya Delmato, the director of the Greenhouse Program, on the podcast. And so when, when I released the podcast, Tanya also reposted the episode through her network, and Jeffrey ended up hearing about it because uh, he used to be a member of the Greenhouse Program. And so I guess from there, Jeffrey, you reached out, and then we ended up connecting through LinkedIn, and you know, here we are now. And so... I just I just love stories like these where, you know, we were able to connect and, you know, develop new relationships, meet new people through social media, as well as, you know, mutual connections, because now I get the wonderful opportunity to pick the brain of Jeffrey and kind of, you know, walk through his life story and share his experience on the Broaden Your Perspective podcast platform. So thank you very much, Jeffrey, for taking the time to join me on the episode today. Thank you so much for having me, Jonathan. Yeah, so um, just just based on some of the short conversations we had prior to this, I know you know you are the founder of the Canoe Project. What exactly that is, we'll get into it later. Um, but you know, along with that, any entrepreneurial journey, right? Nothing ever works out as we expect it to be. There's always issues or things that come up. And you know, you mentioned to me that you had to kind of break up the time that you spent working on Canoe um, due to depression, which ultimately manifested in bipolar one schizoaffective. Um, and so, you know, you mentioned to me that you've been hospitalized numerous times since 2015. And I definitely have a ton of questions around that in terms of, you know, how you managed to deal with that, how you balance it and how your perspective changed kind of after, you know, you kind of mitigated some of the major parts of it. Obviously, you know, some of it, you're probably still going through it now, but um, ton of questions around that. But before we really get started, um, do you want to just kind of share a little bit about your experience going through the Greenhouse program? Um, what's your recommendation to you know social entrepreneurs out there in the Kitchener-Waterloo region? Yeah, so for sure. So I guess the best way to start is is my back as a going a bit further back into how I started at Waterloo. So I come from Calgary, Alberta, and uh, I search kind of far and wide across the country for the appropriate undergraduate program for me to, for me to take. And it ended up being the knowledge integration program at the university of Waterloo after much kind of figuring out one way or another. And so the the knowledge integration program is in the faculty of environment and it is a program that is essentially like an arts and science program about uh, connecting diverse knowledge to solve complex problems and bringing together uh, diverse teams to, um, make those make that problem solving possible. So that's the background of what how I got to Waterloo and I spent uh, I think it was in my third year I first heard about the greenhouse program in St. Paul's where I had, I'd actually spent my first year at St. Paul's not in greenhouse it was 
before that uh, started, but uh, I then heard about the greenhouse program and thought, I, I need to do this kind of thing. I need to be engaged in uh, social innovation, social right. entrepreneurship. I, uh, I come from a very entrepreneurial background, just my, all my, both my parents and uh, um, uh, my grandparents were all kind of entrepreneurs. So I, I kind of come from it, but I wanted to get from, get the social innovation, social entrepreneurship side, because I'm very interested in solving and helping to solve problems that have uh, big, big uh, potential tra- transformative impact on the world that might not be able to be monetarily valued at this point this point in time so that's what led me to the greenhouse program and i spent my 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 the first term of my fifth year at waterloo in the program had a great roommate had a great time there and uh came into the the program with the idea of the kunu project in mind cool so what kind of um resources or uh, events or support network did the greenhouse program kind of offer to help you along in your entrepreneurial journey? The greenhouse program was mainly a set of courses or once a week for the, for the whole term. So one week you might be doing uh, finance one might, week, you might be doing ideating one might, you might do, might be doing gaining support and you'd have, You'd be doing it with the rest of your cohort, with uh, pe- with uh, pe- people who are expert in the subject matter coming to to help out. So it was right. Tanya uh, who is who is obviously leading this kind of thing, but we'd have experts from around the KW community in social finance, in design thinking, in all these sorts of things. Cool, cool. And then you know, tell me a little bit of a little bit more about the knowledge integration program at Waterloo because. I haven't really heard of that until today. Um, so that was like an under, undergraduate program that you could just get right into, like from from high school. That's right. It was from high school. It's a uh, it's a program for I think a very particular type of person who mm-hmm. essentially has a lot of interests and it's and instead of um, choosing one discipline to go straight in for undergraduate studies, you know, it's choosing engineering, choosing English, whatever. This is for someone who who wants to find a way to integrate their 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 knowledge uh, to not give up on a passion and to and to bring it all together. So that's that's the core of the program. But in terms of like classes and core classes, what it what what it involves is um, a lot of design thinking, a lot of uh, theory of knowledge, epistemology, uh, uh, the core the capstone design course is a museum course where you come with students from all different disciplines to create a museum exhibit kind of making knowledge uh real and conveying it to an audience in a visual spatial way and then of course a thesis at the end so those are the main components of it cool yeah i just i just find it very interesting as you know i slowly progress through my undergraduate career right now i'm a second year student about to enter my third year but it's kind of like from where I started as a first year student, I really was pretty limited in my mindset in terms of, well, what programs does Waterloo offer? You know, science, engineering, math, stuff like that. And then as I progress along my journey, I start meeting people from, you know, different programs and it kind of just goes in my head like, well, that was something I could have chosen or like, well, I didn't know that was a program I could have decided to head into out of high school. And I think um, there are a lot of, you know, people out there, a lot of organizations, groups that are trying to, I guess, 
bring different awarenesses to, to different undergraduate programs or what people want to study. And I think um, it's great. So cool. Lots of learning about the knowledge integration program. But to get on to the, I guess, main, main part of this podcast is the Canoe Project. So uh, you founded the Canoe Project out of Greenhouse Program. So were you working on Canoe before you entered Greenhouse Program or is it kind of you entered Greenhouse and then kind of developed the idea? So I started the Canoe Project in 2014, uh, a few months before I entered the Greenhouse Program. Um, it was actually at a University of Calgary uh, Canada 150 uh, event called, called Imagination 150 put on a group, by a group here in Calgary where the idea uh, crystallized in, in my imagination. I've been kind of thinking about different uh, aspects of, of the idea for a long time, but uh, it was essentially there that I, that, I, that I said, I want to work on this idea. And this idea being uh, an undergrad where students take their degree across Canada from C to C to C. Um, so the, the idea crystallized as I said there, and then over the summer I started working on it, got the idea, uh, down on paper. Uh, I always like to think of the, get the first stage in the idea process of, of making something real is a good idea begins with a sketch. And that's something this, one of the schools I've been to, Alberta college of art and design. That was the slogan on their t-shirts is a good idea begins with a sketch. And the sketch of canoe was a, a one pager of the who, what, when, where, and why simply that kind of stuff they teach you in, in elementary school, uh, English class about newspaper writing. Hmm. And so, uh, we got the idea down that we want to have a degree program where you spend, you know, one year on the West coast, one year in the prairies, one year in, uh, Ontario, Quebec, you know, in, in Ottawa or something like that. And then one year in the East with opportunities to go up into the North and experience indigenous culture as well. So that's the, 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 the basic idea of it. And the reason why it crystallized uh, at that time is because at this Imagination 150 event in Calgary, at the University of Calgary, uh, they kind of asked, what are you going to do for Canada for, for Canada's 150th? What's your contribution going to be to the country? And that really resonated with me with like, well, what am I going to do? And, and I'd had this idea that uh, back in my early days, like before I chose knowledge integration, that I really wanted to go to King's College, Halifax, uh, before I went to knowledge integration at Waterloo. And I just couldn't get through my head how I was going to integrate uh, doing both at the same time, you know, losing friends, the transfer credits, the cost of associated with doing it, the uncertainty of the pathway. Right. And so I wanted, to, I had always thought at that time, I was like, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it have been cool if I would be able to do this first foundation year at King's College, part of, part of Dalhousie and Halifax, and then go to knowledge integration? Never happened. So what I wanted to do is kind of create a pathway for that. And so pathway combined with, this idea of what do we do for Canada's 150? And then shortly thereafter, doing a little bit of preliminary research, I, I realized it's been done before in a way. Hmm. In the European Union, they have a system called Erasmus Mundus, which is currently over 130 joint master's degrees, joint European master's degrees, where you might do a European master in forestry, where you do one year in uh, in Denmark and one year in Portugal and one year in in Germany, this kind of thing. Right. Uh, so it's a so so. As soon as I saw that, I was like, "Of course, this could happen here." You're you're transposing it to the underground level to to make it possible, but it is 
it is doable in in concept in theory right so kind of the the overarching goal is to build almost a, a system of of joint programs that's going to educate a, a new generation of Canadian students and build Canadian leaders in that sense, right? So it's kind of like, well, instead of me doing all of my five years, I guess, at Waterloo, I would do, you know, different years in different um, universities or different colleges across Canada and then still get awarded a final, I guess, graduation or credit from that program. Yeah, that's exactly it. Oh. And, and, and what you're doing, you know, the only thing I would add is that uh, it would happen in a cohort, so you'd okay. be taking the <clears throat> canoe uh, joint Canadian Bachelor of Commerce in Pan-Canadian Entrepreneurship and Innovation and Creativity. That's a mouthful, but let's just say an Entrepreneurship, <laughs> Innovation and Creativity degree. Right. You're getting, at the end of the day, you're getting a parchment which says you're, you've got your BCom and you and you know you get a supplementary parchment which says you got it from UBC, University of Calgary and uh, and Concordia. And you did it in this special subject and you did it with these 30 other people moving other across the country. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like when you enter in as a cohort, you're still specifying an, an area of study. So for example, in my case, when I was applying, if I, if I was to this high school, I would apply to, cause currently I'm, I'm majoring in biochemistry. So sure. I could go through a cohort of, you know, study biochemistry and then kind of just do a year in different universities um, across Canada and then still graduate with a biochemistry degree. That's right. Wow. Wow. That's, that is, cause I, I definitely see the like tremendous value in that because, um, I'm, I'm actually from BC originally. So I grew up in, uh, in Maple Ridge, British Columbia. That's where I went to high school. So even just moving from, you know, BC to Ontario, there was a huge, huge kind of, you know, culture shock and, and understanding, you know, what the kind of a different different provinces like and so that's still within Canada and it was it was it was pretty crazy and I think that um, although it's within Canada still being able to understand the cultures and the different perspectives of different people within Canada because you know Canada is a melting pot of different um, you know people from all across the world I think that's that's an amazing idea so how what's because you, you started working on that in 2015 right so how, yeah, 2014, yeah. 2014, right. So how has that continued to progress over time? Because this would be something that you would need to create in partnership with all these different universities or how exactly is this infrastructure going to be set up? Yeah. So the, so I guess we'll get into why it's taken so long, which is a, the key question um, in a, in a little bit with when it comes to my health, but the project right. is basically happened in three phases more currently in the, in this, third phase, which we just started uh, in the last few months here. Uh, the first phase was in 2014 when we first started, and that went to 2015, early 2015, and that was the just figuring out the basic viability of the concept. Um, it was when we figured out, oh, we can't do four universities, because originally we were going to do four universities, four years, hmm. and we learned about something called <clears throat> the residency require- requirement. So you have to take 50% of your credits at most universities to in order to graduate from that university. So, you know, it was figuring out, okay, well, how, so how exactly are people going to shuffle around the country if it's not just going to be this linear, you take a, f- a quarter from each place, right? Mm-hmm. So, so things like that were, were what we were kind of working out. And um, I actually, uh, what we were kind of working towards was a, a greenhouse grant. We ended up winning the first prize um, 
in the greenhouse social innovation uh, pitch competition Cool. In, in December 2014. So that fueled us into 2015 when we really got the business, business plan sorted out about the uh, financial model of how we were going to do this, mm-hmm. what, what the costs were going to be, all this kind of thing. And uh, originally in that phase, we were kind of thinking that we were going to start some kind of private company, that kind of thing, to, to facilitate this. Um, that's what we were thinking. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, it was also when we got our, I won't talk too much about wh- which universities specifically have gotten on board, but about uh, five universities have endorsed, but the one that sticks out the most was University of Regina, who, okay. uh, who got on board in uh, February or so of 2015, got on board by, by endorsing the concept and fueling fueling it so they they gave they said this they gave their stamp of approval that this is a good idea this should continue and that if the essentially if the money becomes available uh this is something we'd be interested in doing it simply put uh, working towards developing a a a pan-canadian degree Uh, so so that was the first phase 2015 uh then we restarted the project in april uh 2016 which is when we, my my buddy said, we should go to the Liberal National Convention in hmm. in Winnipeg that year. So we had the opportunity to go to the Liberal National Convention uh, to try and sell the concept uh, at that time. And at that time, the project was around. Let's. This is a new government. Perhaps we'll we'll be able to solve this. You know, national uh, identity, national cohesion idea, and 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 make it a reality. So uh, we got we ended up getting a uh, nineteen endorsers on board, and the whole idea was to kind of gain support to to uh, uh, to get them on board and get the federal government to basically fund this like the, they did the Millennium Scholars back in before the before the turn, dawn of the new millennium. So that was then, and then and that didn't pan out again. This is uh, I'll get into this later, but health concerns kind of stopped the project at that point. And then really this, this time around had been that, uh, you know, there was some opportunities around of, of interest by some institutions here in Calgary and uh, still are. And, and, but really the, the main reason is like, we see the national climate of, of, of the lack of cohesion across the country. And uh, you see this as an opportunity to develop leaders to, to get to the next you know, to, to get us to 2067. I mean, we're not thinking so much about 2017 anymore. That's a, something that's passed, but more thinking about what do the leaders in 2067 look like in, in Canada in, at our bicentennial. Right. Wow. So then, so walk me through the, the process of kind of trying to recruit other universities, get them, get them on board. Is that kind of direct meetings with, um, different representatives from different universities, like sh- share a little bit about kind of that process. Yeah. So again, the, f- the first uh, endorser of the, of the concept was uh, University of Regina back in 2015. And, you know, a, a little bit like you alluded to in your intro today, it is amazing what happens in, with kind of serendipity on the edge of networks, mm, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, you know, be just us connecting. And for, for me, it was uh, with, with Regina was the, uh, uh, 
connection from an advisor to the project, a very, uh, very good, good man who, who helped us connect to a variety of places. Not all came through at that point, but, uh, but, but, uh, Regina, uh, did endorse and that got us to our next level. And then after that, in, in 2016, when I said we did a big sprint and in two months, I mean, we did an absolutely crazy amount of work to get uh, people on board. And the, the, the big thing was just being bold to reach out to people and sell the concept. And, and luckily with canoe, it's a, it's a concept that once you get in the door, the concept and with, with a, a basis of, of good, uh, rigor, um, kind of sells itself. Right. Right. So, so that's been the big part of it. Um, the, the trick is getting beyond endorsements to yes, we're hundred percent committed, but, mm. and we're making a program, which we actually got to a, a university, uh, proposed a canoe in creative technologies, um, between the North uh, the prairies and Quebec. There was a there's one in uh, environmental design between uh, BC, Alberta, Ontario, and Nova Scotia, and there was one in social innovation between Alberta, uh, Ontario, and Newfoundland. So there were there's been proposals on the table, and again because of, because of I mean mainly because of work stop, but the real the I think the real reason is because the funding we just didn't get that part. Right. Um, I'll, I'll speak a bit more to that, which is that when we the the biggest the the biggest problem with canoe up to this point is that we have not had any understanding of how fundraising works. Hmm. Um, we didn't understand that in 2015. We didn't understand that in 2016. Um, but we understand it now. Uh, I've been working in fund development uh, for the last year and a half. And uh, I think we've got a good shot at it now because Canoe is really a fundraising project. The real, the way I see it is as much as it is about programs, right. the way to get to the way to get to those programs and to launch them is basically by, by being a venture capital firm of education hmm. and having a pot of money that, that donors find, you know, say we want this to go to, uh, an open competition to see who can make the best pan-Canadian program in social innovation and then say uh, a consortium from led by a BC university would say we, we've got the best one or the consortium led by the Quebec university said we got the best one and then ultimately the 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 one that is best on some, some, some measure might get funded that kind of thing so it's really uh, that third party um or I guess it's a third party. It's it's the it's it has to be I think fund driven because the universities just don't have enough incentive just to play in the fund in the sandbox together right uh, alone. Yeah, because I mean, just listening to the idea, I'm absolutely fascinated by it, and I'm I definitely see the tremendous value that a program like this could bring. But I'm sure there's tons of you know small logistical things that between different universities just makes it really really hard to kind of set up this this network, but the idea of, of kind of setting up something like this is just, I mean, I'm absolutely blown away and fascinated by it because, you know, similar to how you have a personal experience, I guess, that's driving your motivation behind um, building Canoe, I've, I've been able to experience the value of, you know, globalization and learning from other people, different cultures, because 
you know, recently I returned from um, a two-week kind of startup immersion program in, in Hong Kong and Shenzhen in China. And so like that, the whole purpose of that was just to, you know, show us, well, what's the entrepreneurial startup community like in China, right? Because going into it, I've never been to China before. So I had a lot of preconceptions in terms of what China would look like, how China operated, if they even had a startup culture. And I was absolutely blown away by what they were able to show us. Um, and, you know, not to mention the the group of people that I, met, that I was allowed to go on this trip with, um, all from different universities across the world with their own different cultures. I mean, learning from these people is just absolutely amazing. And I know, I know you mentioned that you used to be the Enactus advisor for SAIF. SAIT, uh, SAIT, Southern Alberta Institute of Technology. Okay, yeah, yeah, for, for Enactus. And I think that, you know, one thing that was interesting about Enactus, which I kind of can pull from here, is that you have all these different universities almost competing with each other to try to recruit individuals to their institutions, right? But it's kind of all in, this, in the goal of, well, empowering the youth so that we can, you know, pass the torch on that they can lead the, the future of the generation. And with Enactus, I just I just found that, you know, if the whole purpose is creating a change in the community, right, social entrepreneurship, address social issues, well, you have all these different Enactus chapters that are competing against one another, right? You want to do better mm -hmm. than the other Enactus chapter, but it's just kind of like, well, think about if we could combine all of these Enactus chapters, all the resources, all the network, all the knowledge that they know, and do something huge. I mean, that would obviously, you know, destroy the entire <laughs> Enactus competition setup that they have, but... It would just be so amazing to see how collectively, how great that impact would be. And I think, you know, collectively having all these students go through this, that's, I'm absolutely fascinated amazed by the idea. So w what would be the ideal end goal for Canoe, do you think? What's like the perfect situation of everything set up? Yeah, so I'll, I'll answer that, but I'll just speak to the, uh, the idea of the best practices being shared across mm -hmm. a system. You know, I think that uh, as William K. Gibson who said, the future is already here. It's just unevenly distributed, which is an off-quoted, uh, you know, anecdote. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that the, the opportunity with Canoe is to say, what are, who's doing the best things in the system? And how can we connect them to make them better? And then ultimately, how can we share them That too? So how can we share curriculum? And this is in the sharing of curriculum is, something that's happening uh, in Alberta right now between some of the colleges, uh, Bow Valley College and Norquest College were recently in the news for this. Uh, I think there's a really interesting opportunity to, to you know, especially with public money that's going into these programs, um, that we maximize the effect and start building and iterating off them more rapidly. So that's, that's kind of a, an aspect of canoe for sure. But in terms of where we want to go with this, um, we're so right away. What we'd like to do is launch a a, a program in Pan Canadian Entrepreneurship, Innovation, and Creativity, right. a BCom, and really have a focus to uh, launch it with three partners across Canada, uh, ideally in uh, British Columbia, Alberta, and Quebec, just for the national symbolism of of that with the the issues that we all see in the news these days. But would obviously be open to to other possibilities, even other possibilities of programs. It's just, you need, sometimes with an idea, you need to have a firm, uh, you know, a firm starting bid, you know, to, to, to stimulate the, the conversation mm -hmm. and innovation. So that would be the first part, but, but actually 
what we eventually want to do with this is, is quite ambitious. Um, we would like to see in the next uh, 15 to 20 years about 15 uh, joint Canadian undergraduate programs in all different subjects, you know, from from digital media to social innovation to engineering of some type to environmental design. Um, we'd love to see something scale up similarly to what happened in Europe with the Erasmus Mundus programs, but also something that uh, that takes precedence from the Minerva project in the United States that's uh, basically very similar to, to, to Canoe, but um, amongst seven global cities. Yeah. Uh, it's just very, it's very exclusive compar- comparably, so we'd like to see something more more inclusive. Right. I mean, uh, that kind of thing. And uh, the Schwartzman Scholars in, in between the U.S. and China now that's a graduate program, but the spirit of it is how do we avert a new Cold War between, you know, China and the U.S., mm. China and the West. Uh, we're 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 not we're obviously not doing that particularly with Canoe, but we are trying to mend and uh, smooth relations uh, by having understanding across the country. It's interesting that only ten percent of Canadian students leave their home province for hmm. university or college. Wow. Right. So, so it's like, how do you extrapolate that and, and realize, um, what's going to happen in, with our leadership? So that, that's the big, that's the big picture goal. And how we do that is a, is a, is, as an, it's basically like a venture capital organization for education that injects funding to appropriate consortiums, uh, and stimulates innovation through a curriculum development grants, startup grants, scholarship scheme scholarship and bursary scheme hmm. uh, as well as uh the marketing and, and fundraising for this to sustain the system right so is is canoe something you're working on full-time right now or is it um like walk me through a day in your life right now yeah so uh, i actually work right now at uh southern alberta institute of technology okay um so i am i i i'm actually kind of finishing up my last month working here before I go to grad school. So I, so to answer your question simply, I am working or going to school and we'll be working on canoe uh, part-time for this, this thing. And right now and for the foreseeable future, it's not even about, uh, it's just about building relationships. Right. Um, there's no asks right now we're thinking about in the, in the foreseeable future. Uh, definitely in the next, in the next year, we'll be talking about that kind of thing. Cool. Cool. Um, right. So you mentioned that, uh, kind of when you were, when you're building up canoe, it kind of went through, um, different stages. There was times when you had to step away from it. Um, and that was all revolving, you know, your battles with, with health. So take us through, a, a your journey of, you know, battling through depression and how, you know, your health affected your entrepreneurial journey in that sense. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really glad that you gave me the opportunity to talk about this, uh, Jonathan, I, I think that it's important. I, mm-hmm. And I, I don't mean to to be um, to talk about this to for show or something like that. I, I really believe that it's really important to uh, share these these kind of things to to reduce the stigma in a small yeah. in any small way. So so with that to preface it, I would say that uh, my life has had it's a very difficult um twists and turns over the last four years, basically 
alongside the advent of canoe. Um, when I was just to walk through a little bit, uh, I, I, uh, in that first fall of working in canoe in 2014, I suffered the worst depression that I'd ever had mm. in my life. Uh, I was really, really, really terrible, really close to, um, you know, something potentially bad, quite bad happening. Right. Um, and I didn't seek help at all. And I hadn't for many years when I had experienced this kind of thing. So first thing I would say is if you can, you know, uh, seek help. So I, it eventually got to the point where <clears throat> it got so bad that I was kind of forced to seek help and was, uh, went to Waterloo, uh, psychology and they, they diagnosed me with depression or would have diagnosed me with depression. But unfortunately I, in the period intervening that I had a, a very severe manic episode. So manic episode, I, I, I assume that people, most people, their depression is like a low, low mood. Mm-hmm. Manic episode is the exact opposite of that, where you're very, very high mood, grandiose thinking, spending mm-hmm. a lot of money, in, uh, you know, very, very happy, up, up, being thought, but it actually is, is quite destructive. And so I ended up in hospital uh, in Calgary for that. And that was the, essentially the determination of canoe, as I thought, I thought it would be forever, but canoe seems to be the project that's just too good of an idea to ever go away so i basically spent a year recovering from 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 that um what that mania resulted in was a diagnosis of bipolar disorder right bipolar being uh, a disorder which is characterized by uh extreme uh variance in mood not necessarily rapidly but just like a very high mood and mania or very low mood and depression. Um, so, so fast forward, uh, a year, um, and I, we ended up working in canoe again. And, and, uh, this, I think it's a combination of the stress of the project and the lack of proper medications mm-hmm. led to another, uh, couple very severe manic episodes over that summer of 2016 that again resulted in, uh, hospitalization and uh, I'm sure you have questions about this. I think one good one would be, but what hospitalization is like. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll skip forward. Uh, I'll uh, sk- just skip forward on the timeline. We can maybe talk about that, but uh, yeah, so I, so I ended up kind of recovering over that kind of year. And then uh, aside from canoe, I had another episode in 2018 which led to another hospitalization. But luckily, um, although it was dramatic, uh, it led to a change in medication, which has completely stabilized me from, from now forward. So it's been, a, it's been an up and down road. And all I have to say is that, uh, you know, you, you, the, the fortunate or unfortunate thing about bipolar 1 and the schizoaffective variant, schizoaffective just meaning like there, there's uh, potential for psychosis. And it's variable with, with people. Right. Um, is that, you know, there's always, there's always help that's available and it's just a matter of, you know, you just gotta, you gotta seek it out. Um, you don't even have to seek it out. You just have to go, uh, and you just have to show up and then it will, it will immediately get better for you, which is an amazing thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Cause I, I know that, um, mental health is a huge, huge topic on, on campus right now. And it's kind of like, 
well, in terms of my perspective, you know, just through high school and through my first two years at university, that was something that, that I've always heard of, but I never really, you know, paid attention to it. I, I, I never thought, well, you know, this would never happen to me or this would never happen to somebody that I know. <clears throat> but, you know, I, I found out, you know, if, I think it was a year ago or so that my, my aunt was going through a, a kind of depression um, when I was in high school and stuff. So it's just kind of like it can happen to anybody, right? I mean, um, it's just like, yes, you, you know, we're talking about kind of the stigma and kind of releasing the stigma. So I think it's just it's very good to, to open up and talk a little bit more about that. So um, was it like walk me through your emotions when you first um felt like you were getting depression uh when you were working on canoe in the fall term yeah so um it's it's a it's definitely a feeling of of worthlessness and about a feeling of the the whole world kind of the pressures of it uh on your shoulders and just wanting to sleep wanting to um just being in a terrible mood, mm-hmm. you know, and, and feeling, and the worst part of it is, is, is it feels like it's going to be permanent. Um, and you, you feel that you're putting strain on your loved ones and friends and everything like that. And it's kind of a vicious, almost self-fulfilling prophecy because you know, you, you kind of are and you, and it, and it feels worse and this kind of thing. Uh, so it is, it is quite terrible. Um, yeah, luckily there are, you know, so I have to, I have to say that in my case, like I have a very extreme case, so I don't, I'm not maybe the best person to, to, um, you know, it's more of a, a for, for interest sake and to know what the extreme case is like a little bit, right? but people can experience depression and not have a severe diagnosis, that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, and it would have those same symptoms. Right. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. And then talk, talk to me kind of a little bit about that point when you realized I need to go get help or, cause I know you, you'd mentioned that you're kind of battling with yourself. Like, um, I'm not going to get help. I'm not going to share with anybody, but what point in your mind where you're like, I need, I need help at this point. And how tough was it for you to, to open yourself up in that, in that sense? Yeah. So getting help is, uh, yeah, I just said earlier that you got to do it, you know, yeah. it is really hard. And, uh, uh, for me it was kind of like, there was no other option. It's just like, yeah, you, it's gotten so bad that you just have to go. And sometimes, unfortunately, these illnesses, as with many illnesses, I mean, you don't go to the hospital until you break your arm, right? Like it's, sometimes it's like, you don't go until it's really, really bad because it's just crisis is, is almost necessary to spur the, the, the change and this kind of thing. So, um, so it was partially on the recommendation of my parents mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. So after, after kind of going through this and, and, you know, having it go away and then come back and then go away and then come back, how did it, well, number one, what's kind of the, the greatest thing that you learned from it? And my second part to that question would be, um, you know, it's amazing here now that everything's everything's going well because of the change in medication, but how does that kind of change the perspective you now have on life? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a great question. Um, well, it's definitely made me a more <clears throat> empathetic person. Uh, mm-hmm. 
you know, especially when you see so many people on the on the streets and so forth who clearly have, or it seems from the outside, have have issues that are just not getting resolved. Uh, you you feel very lucky that you have the resources that you 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 never had to, you know, go through things in such an extreme uh, way. So I, I'm, I guess I'm very appreciative and really grateful for the things that I have for sure. Cause you can, you could see how, especially 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it could have all been taken away in an instant and mm-hmm. with a stigma and everything like that. But it has made me, it's made me a more cautious person, but also a, a stronger person in, in how I, uh, I think approach problems with more maturity and uh, and look at the world in a more kind of holistic way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I asked that question because, um, you know, recently I, I just finished a book by, by Bronnie Ware where it was about, the book was titled the top five regrets of the dying and Bronnie Ware, she is a, you know, palliative uh, care nurse who, you know, spent her career just, um, always in the presence of, you know, death and people moving on. And so she wrote a book about the top five regrets of the dying. And the, the biggest thing was that, you know, that I took away was, well, number one, you know, the quality of your life can really change based off your health. And so a lot of people don't appreciate that and they're not grateful for it. Um, and, you know, it's just interesting to hear all the different regrets people had. And, and the other part of it is that um, there was this really, really big uh, venture capitalist. His name is Kai-Fu Lee. And he was a, it was a crazy hard worker. Um, you know, he was the, the head of Google China. He was vice president at Apple. He was vice president at Microsoft. So he did so much stuff, crazy work ethic. Um, and then I think he was diagnosed with stage four lymphoma. And he now has kind of a totally revamped perspective on how he approaches life, right? Where to put your attention, where to cherish people, um, where you should spend your time on doing. And I think it's, it's, it's always really, really interesting to just hear about how your perspective changes after you end up going through a experience like that. Because I think, you know, having that, because, you know, in my perspective, I feel like a lot of people, especially in 2019, you know, myself included, we spend a lot of time focusing on things that really don't matter at the end of the day, right? Like we, we spend time thinking about things that we're not even remember five days from now, let alone five weeks from now. Um, so I, I think it's just always very interesting to hear about that. Now, um, I know you already shared, you know, some of the advice in terms of, uh, going out and getting for getting help. But uh, for any of the audience members listening who who might be dealing and battling with their own internal battle of mental health, and um, what would kind of be your advice towards that for them? Well, I was just stick in there uh, because it will, it, it will get better. And that's something that's uh, – and, and the people love you, you know. Mm-hmm. So it will it will get better, and people love you, and um, despite how it may feel. Um, but the big thing is, is just the other thing is, is is learn, try and learn some some tools. If you're not comfortable with going to go see a psychologist or a therapist of some kind, like there are tools online and things like that with mindfulness and uh, and all that that you can learn and, and use on your own. And they, and they do work. I will say that. Mm-hmm. 
Cool. Cool. Um, another question though, just out of curiosity is, is what you meant by, by hospitalization and what's that, what that is kind of like as you kind of went through the different, uh, stages. Yeah. So that's, that's, uh, like a psychiatric commitment where you're Mm. at the hospital and you, you know, it's not like you're in a bed, you know, with some sickness like you are, but, uh, it's just a, it's just an interesting experience of, of, of being amongst a whole bunch of other people who are, who are going through something as well. And, uh, I think the only reason I bring that up is because it's, uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, stigma about that kind of thing and a lot of, right. uh, maybe wrong, some th- thoughts about it, but I think in just thinking about this for, for the, for the, for the listeners at home, it's just normal people, uh, going through health issues and being in the safest place possible. And there's, there's nothing, there's nothing strange or weird about that. Um, it's just a, a reality of the, of, of how we get people better. Um, and it might look weird from the outside, but there's a, there's a healing process that, that goes in there as maybe it might not seem, but I think it, I think it is really, really true. Yeah. Well, um, I guess moving forward now into the future, you mentioned that you were, you were going to be going back to do your master's, I think in strategic foresight and innovation. Is that, is that correct? That's correct. Cool. That's correct. Um, so what do you, what do you hope to gain from this program and, and what prompted you to go back to school? I'm really excited about this program. I, uh, I'm going to, this is at OCAD University, Ontario College of Art and Design University in Toronto. Um, and I am going to the Strategic Foresight and Innovation Program as the President Scholar, which is, an, uh, I think, I will I'll toot my own horn because I, it, 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 it's, I'm, I, makes me feel very, excuse me, very confident about the uh, uh, last five years and what I've accomplished. Mm-hmm. Um, because this is a program that is about basically about design for, pl- for planning a better world through the tools of systems thinking, design thinking, user-centered design, uh, strategic foresight, strategic foresight being the planning for contingencies into the future. And this is a program that required uh, a major portfolio interview, uh, essays, all this, all that jazz. And, uh, you know, even though the past five years have been incredibly, incredibly hard on me, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've still been able to, to accumulate a, a body of work that kind of, uh, kind of gets the endorsement of the, of really Canada's top design s- school in a lot of ways. I'm maybe arguable, but definitely one of the top for sure. Um, so this, the reason why I wanted to do this program is because I, I felt it was the right opportunity for growing my skill set in in what I do best, which is connecting the dots, hmm. uh, connecting the dots of from a variety of, of places, and 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 doing that in an education uh, platform that can allow me to integrate my interests. My my main interests at the moment are uh, collective intelligence design and serendipity the study of serendipity and application so i think that i'll be able to gain a, a good base skill set that will get me into one of my dream jobs horizons canada federal government department foresight get me into somewhere like that or be able to 
drive my research in my next stage in in the study of collective intelligence design or and or serendipity yeah do you do you want to share a little bit more about what exactly is kind of collective design and and the serendipity aspect of it yeah i'd love to so collective intelligence design is well firstly collective intelligence is the study of how groups think and how we can make them think better so uh if you look at a, a group like a like a like a company, a com- can a, the question is is like, can a company think? Can a machine think? Can a company think? And it seems to be seems to be the case that when you've got a whole bunch of constituent parts and neurons, in this case people or and computers working together, they they can produce outputs that are that are greater than the sum of its parts and more complex than the sum of its parts and are therefore evidence of kind of of kind of um, intelligence, right? Right. Uh, and so it's not just so it's not just me with a crackpot theory of this. This is actually, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, coming out of MIT and other places like that. But the the, the main uh, center for collective intelligence is at MIT, and so there's some some great books about this because the big application is if we think if we think of if we think of various levels of human organization as as collectively intelligent and how we can make them more intelligent that we can think about how do we deal with things like climate change and how do we deal with, you know, maximizing the, the processing power of, of groups to lead to better outcomes, this kind of thing. Right. So, so sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. So the, the research will be focused on how do we find kind of specific theories and steps to like improve and optimize collective intelligence, try to introduce that into um, different I guess environments all across the world, or what? What exactly would that research be be entailing? Yeah. So, in terms of what I what I uh, would be researching, mm-hmm. like, and what what my interest is 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 how do how how can groups be creative, and how that is how is that a um, measure of intelligence, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, I've I've thought about. Um, well, I'm currently thinking about different ways we could utilize. We, we, here in Calgary, we have a, a competition every um, every year called the Calgary Corporate Challenge. So major companies, everything from Deloitte to Suncor to all these companies compete in various challenges, whether they're sports or bar trivia and things like this. Right. And so I have been thinking about, you know, what could we do as a as a task or something like that, 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 Allows us to see into a window into how uh, an or you know an organization you know kind of thinks and it puts together to solve a problem. So, for instance, how how do we how what how do we make the best TED talk? You know, how does a competition for the on some measure like the best TED talk, the best the best something or other that a whole bunch of cor- corporations put their kind of best minds together and they use different tool ways of collaborating to to make it happen and and choose the best subject choose the best thing so that's kind of based a little bit on this whole idea of uh crowdsourcing so crowdsourcing is a big uh aspect of collective intelligence and uh here again in calgary there's a company called chaortix which is a platform for for crowdsourcing that uh actually lego uses and lego if you ever heard of lego ideas 
Um, they crowdsource the, the, the people's uh, concepts for sets that get iterated on through this system and voted oh. on this kind of stuff. And the, whatever reaches the top gets implemented by Lego. So wow, that's cool. Th- there's, there's, there's cool stuff and some of it's coming out of Calgary, which is really, which is really neat. But for me, I'm kind of in the early stages of thinking of like, how can we use an existing competition to, to do some kind of measure of collective intelligence? Right. Now, the thing that really interests me about collective intelligence is that, you know, there's this huge talk about AI and robotics and, you know, machine learning and how that's going to change our future as a lot of uh, positions or, or human resources are going to get replaced with robots out of automated functions. How, how, do you think, how do you think that changes what collective intelligence is and how that's measured as maybe you start replacing a lot of um, human employees or human resources that you might have with, you know, computers or robots or, or automation machines that can just replace hundreds, thousands of these people in an organization? Yeah. So I think that the I think that we're looking at a at a future where it's a, it's actually that humans and and machines hmm. thinking together is actually going to be the most powerful solution, um, at least for the foreseeable like for the foreseeable future. I mean, maybe we're gonna maybe the super intelligence is gonna you know balloon and we're gonna see singularity in yeah. in twenty years, but it's it seems like that's that's not maybe the most likely option. So it seems that actually for higher order kind of thinking like creativity, um, evaluation, you know, analysis, this kind of thing, it's going to be, um, humans and computers working together that leads to the the best outcomes, at least for the time being. Right. And, and the reality is there's always going to be people and we can use their, 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 uh, situated knowledge, from across and society to uh, to create outcomes that it will be very beneficial for society. I think I believe. Right. Yeah. Well, it sounds sounds like you're doing some absolutely amazing and very very interesting stuff, especially at OCAD. And then that'll be good because you'll be in Ontario. I'll still be in Ontario as well at that time because you're starting in the in the fall, right? That's right. I'm starting in September. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Because I'll be I'll also be in Toronto for my co-op in in September as well. So we'll definitely find some time probably meet up for coffee or something like that. But um, that'd be great. Yeah, I had another question though. So um, my belief is that success is the cultivation of continuously making the right decisions every day in your life, right? It's not something that you obtain it once like a trophy and then you let it sit there in, in your uh, in your shelf um, and then your work is done. You have to work on it every single day. And so as a business founder that um, you know, you've been working on this for you know four or five years now, with with lots of challenges in in between. Um, you're constantly pressured to make a lot of decisions fast, and they have to be the right ones. Um, so, for you, what do you think has been your strategy in terms of making decisions? Yeah, so I consider myself a strategist, and that's what I want to do with my life: strategic planning, you know, horizontal analysis of 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 foresight of looking towards the future, this kind of thing. But I have to say that my strategy on canoe has been really throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Hmm. You know, it's, 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 and it's, and it's, and it's been this way and I'll connect it to something that I, I did want to talk about as well, but um, serendipity, right? Yeah. So serendipity being the happy, the kind of, um, as that artist would say, the happy accidents, right? When things kind of uh, on the edge of networks, right? They're just a kind of, 
on the on the on the unexpected edges kind of connect and you recognize their their importance and you and you go for it right like meeting someone in the elevator you've you've maybe seen a couple times before and you strike up a conversation and and it leads to something amazing this kind of thing so it's been a, it's been a lot of it's been a lot of kind of looking at the looking at the bro, at the bro, at the big network map toolbox and saying oh that's interesting to a certain coincidence and then diving diving really hard going really hard on the ones that seem to seem to stick yeah yeah so ser- so with serendipity is that also something that you're going to be researching in terms of um in your masters or yeah i i i'm interested in some kind of i guess i'm interested in measurement right now yeah I know it's it's it sounds very early on both phase, just uh, both ideas, but and it is. But um, what I'm interested in is thinking about some kind of economic impact on of random of randomness, random encounters in certain scenarios, like hmm. for instance, airline seating. Right? There's there's you always hear anecdotes about how people co-founders meet on an airline or somebody gets a new job on sitting beside somebody on an air, you know, yeah. an airplane seat, that kind of thing. And so it'd be just interesting to get a, it's almost impossible, but, you know, to get some kind of sense of, of how often that occurrence is. And um, I mean, it's almost by definition that, you know, you can't do that, but just exploring that further somehow. Hmm. Have you ever read a book called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell? I have it was gifted to me once. Ah, yeah, because that's kind of sort of along the lines of you know being in the right place at the right time, a little bit of mm-hmm. luck, a little bit of serendipity, stuff like that, right? Um, I yeah. think that that was a very interesting book as well, just to see how it takes it takes so many different components to all fall in the right place for things to work. Like like Bill Gates' story, I think what was it? he had mm-hmm. like specific access to one of the world's greatest computers when he was fourteen or something like that that allowed him to build build amazing things, and so it's just. Sometimes it's how, how things happen. So I think that, that was a very interesting book as well. Um, so what, what would you say are some of the successful habits um, that you have in your life that are kind of conducive to your success, um, not only with, with Canoe, which, I mean, you guys have already been able to accomplish a great feat of things, but even just kind of dealing with life in general? Mm-hmm. Well, I'd say it goes back to that uh, curiosity and being receptive to opportunities and, and identifying unexpected opportunities when they when they arise. Uh, I think that's a really important mm-hmm. thing. I'd say grit, you know, keeping, not giving up. These are fairly, fairly typical things to say, but um, for me, there, there's been a lot of opportunities to give up uh, in the face of, of adversity and, uh, I think I think it's it's been important to just keep keep going, and um, the most important thing I think is making sure you really steward your personal relationships in a reciprocal and and loving way mm. in in everything you do too, because when it comes down to it, is that's that's what you got. Right. Right. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I got my last two questions here. This this okay. this question is just um, one of the one of the favorite ones that I love asking, just because the response can vary so much. Um, if you had two hundred million dollars burning in your pocket with only twelve months left to live, 
what would be the first three to five things that you would want to do and why? Now you have to spend all of it. You can't say I'm going to invest it or uh, save it somewhere. This has got to be money you got to spend all in 12 months. Yeah. So we hit a budget of 50 million for launching Canoe, Mm -hmm. three programs for like 15 or 20 years. So I put 50 million in there. Uh, Then I would, then I would, There's this, there's this really great book, and it's called Foundation. It's by Isaac Asimov, so it's a science fiction writer. And it's essentially a book about um, it's the end of the Galactic Empire, and this crazy mathematician comes up with this uh, new discipline called psychohistory that's going to predict how it's going to collapse and when it's going to collapse. And so he ends up figuring out that he's going to put a foundation of encyclopedias at the end edge of the galaxy. And, uh, and, uh, they're going to rebuild civilization from there. And it kind of goes on from there. I wrote a, I wrote, I I wrote something, I wrote a little, uh, when I was, uh, on the, uh, an editor or sorry, a columnist for the imprint at Waterloo. I wrote, I wrote a little article about this, uh, equating our Waterloo to it. But the point is I would start some kind of, Backup colony. <laughs> Backup colony. Yeah, it sounds really weird uh-huh. because that's what Elon Musk is trying to do, but he's trying to do it on uh, Mars. Mars. Yeah. But I, I'd, I, I'd do something on on Earth, and I, it gets into some weird territory. So I guess I, that's all I'd say about that. Hmm. Uh, but in concept, like I think that we're facing a very difficult time ahead, and we need some people on the edge. Of the of the of our galaxy, who are thinking about how how who are from a diverse variety of ethnicities, backgrounds, or whatever, uh, who are thinking about what's what's next and how we're going to get out of this mess. So that would be the extra. You said two hundred million, yeah. so one hundred fifty million. Huh? Backup colony. So do you want to share like maybe one of the things that you're thinking about in terms of setting one of those up? Oh uh, yeah. So I recognize the colony is very problematic in the first place. So let's just, let's just get this com- completely conceptual from the Isaac Asimov book. But I think it's like, um, something about living in, in highly adverse conditions, uh, hmm. climatically, right. Uh, climatically. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, or, or just kind of gathering the world's knowledge and integrating it into a new, in, in a new way. Right. Something like that. Wow. Haven't thought about this too much, yeah. but uh, oh, that's, that sounds very, very You asked the question, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that sounds very interesting because I mean, that that's true, right? I think with Elon Musk, his whole thing is that the earth is slowly, slowly not able to sustain us as time progresses forward, right? With, with overpopulation and how, you know, we're not really taking care of our planet where we're living right now. I mean, the viability of the human race is up in the air right now, right? And it's going to slowly, I think, mm-hmm. I don't remember, but there was a really, really scary statistic about at what year are we going to reach the point of no return where nothing we can do is going to even slow it down. It's inevitable for it to happen. Um, so I think that's definitely something that we all need to kind of keep, well, not in the back of our minds. We should we should all be, you know, trying to, trying to solve this issue right now. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, very interesting stuff. Okay, cool. In in a way, in a way, something like canoe is that foundation, right? Like it's a new integration of existing pieces. Yeah. So maybe I'll just put all two hundred million. In <laughs> yeah. 
Um, okay, cool. So before I go to my last question, uh, do you want to share with the audience where they could find more information about Canoe or how they could contact and connect with you? Yeah, I'd love to be in touch with anybody who's who's interested in anything I've had to say on this uh, pod, podcast. Um, my LinkedIn, which I think uh, it was probably how you'll find this. Jonathan will give you my, my name. Feel free to add me. Um, the other way to, to see more about the canoe project is www.canoejcup.ca. Uh, and that's the canoe website. You can also get that through the LinkedIn. So uh, I also have a personal website, www.gceh.ca. Cool. That's all. all right. I'll put, I'll put links to all three of those down in the description below. So be sure to check those out. All right. So on to my very, very last question. If you could write anything on an online post, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is, and share it through social media, where you could be sure that everybody in the world would be able to see it, what would you want to write or what message would you want to share and why? Hmm. You got good questions, Sean. <laughs> Thanks. You're a good interviewer. Um... So is there a word limit for no, this? No, anything you want to share. It could be, anything yeah, I mean, people have answered it when they just like said a quote or people have said that the message they want to send across is, is this. That doesn't mean that, you know, they're going to write the entire paragraph on a message, but just like the overall message that they want to send. Um, one piece. Of, okay, yeah. well, well, I've got a little slogan, so I'll kind of, I'll kind of cheat it out. But it's called Things Are Shackles, Let's Go Fly. That's my personal slogan. Basically what that means is, you know, things are temporary. Um, but we can reach transcendental heights together if we if we just decide, decide to let them go and go fly. So I guess it's kind of like a, you know, pulls from old religions, that kind of thing. If you really want to be pretentious about it. I'm not. I just like it. Things are shackles, let's go fly. Yeah, that, that is that is very, very powerful. All right, Jeffrey, thank you very much for joining me today on the podcast. I had an absolute bla uh, blast chatting with you about Canoe and your life journey and everything, everything that's been happening in the past um, four or five years. So thank you very much for joining me on the show today. Thank you so much. If you've made it all the way to the end of the episode, thank you very much for listening. You can find out more about Jeffrey and what the Canoe Project is working on by visiting the links in the description below. Now, I want you to screenshot a picture of the podcast, share it on Instagram or any other social media platform, and tag three friends that you think would find this podcast interesting. Oh, and tag me as well. I'd love to hear any thoughts you had on the conversation. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, leave a rating or review on whatever platform you're listening through. I would greatly appreciate that. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at Johnny underscore Sue. That's J-O-N-N-Y underscore H-S-U. And to follow the Broaden Your Perspective podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, Instagram, and Facebook.